Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 10 of The Bible Unmasked. We're very happy that you could join us tonight. And as you know, this is our weekly Bible study and it is aired on Sunday nights, 7.30 on YouTube on, and on PlantationSDA.tv. So our goal is to read the Bible through to in 2021. And um, so we'll ask that you join us in this journey, on this journey, sorry. Please remember that the reading plan is shared weekly during Sabbath service and also on social media. So please join us, um, invite your family, your friends, your neighbors, your enemies, everyone to join us and um, on this, on this during, uh, for this Bible study, okay? So you can text your questions in advance to 954-388-8780. Uh, that's 954-388-8780, as our pastors will address these questions weekly. So our presenter for, to, for, for today is Pastor Joseph Salajan, um, affectionately, known as, affectionately known as Pastor Joe. And um, Pastor Joe, good, good evening and welcome. Good evening. Good to be back. Yes. <laughs> Happy to jump into it. Yes, let's jump right into it. So can you go ahead and pray for us to start? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for this time that we can use to deepen our understanding. We pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, um, you know, last week we looked at Deuteronomy 1 through the 25. So can you briefly you know tell us about what deuteronomy 1 to 25 covers pastor yes i think the easiest way to go about it is uh, to talk a little bit about the etymology of the word deuteronomy deuteronomy means the second rendering of the law deftero or deutero in greek means second and uh, nomos means law so in the book of Deuteronomy, we have a recapitulation of the laws and uh, regulations that God gave to his people Israel. So Moses brings those laws back to the people. And uh, it's interesting to see that there are some variations. There are some novelty also in um, this uh, book. But by and large, it's a book that deals with specific rules and regulations. We even have the Ten Commandments repeated. Thank you. Thank you. And as we look this week at Deuteronomy 26 through to Joshua 7, um, can you tell us, just give us a brief overview of what we, will, of what we read this week? Yes, it pretty much continues what uh, we were dealing with last week. There's a very interesting section where curses and uh, blessings are outlined when God's people will be faithful to God, how God will bless 
his people. And when God's people will not be faithful, how curse will fall upon them. And then there is a final section of the book of uh, Deuteronomy where Moses writes a song and then he blesses the people, the tribes before he leaves, before he dies. Then he dies. And of course, Joshua takes over. And it's, it's like a very natural continuation going into the book of Joshua from Deuteronomy because you have the story of Moses ended, rounded up in uh, Deuteronomy. Mm. And the story of uh, Joshua kicks off in uh, the book of Joshua. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for that background, Pastor. And we have a lot of questions for you today. So I know that you are prepared and ready. Well, we <laughs> always prepare more, you know. So let's start off with the first question on tithing. Mm. And um, we read about tithing last week and, um, and this week. So should we return or tithe on our gross or on our net income? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a little bit of a complication, unnecessary complication of uh, the reality of tithing. If you go back to biblical times, it's obvious that God wanted uh, everything, every income to be tithed. So if you apply that to modern realities, then uh, everything that is an income should be tithed. Okay. So if you apply what Jesus says in the New Testament, give uh, Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God what belongs to God, then it would be a very good question whether Caesar would be happy for you to take all your money out that you want to be taken out, even the tithe, and then give uh, Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Or um, Caesar wants to take the whole, the full picture into consideration. When I say Caesar, I refer to the authorities, to the government. Right. right. But uh, when it comes to God, if God provides you with uh, blessings and he gives you a certain income, that's your income. That's what you are supposed to tithe. And uh, yes, that's, that's what I do. I tithe from the, the gross. Mm -hmm. And then um, I try to use the nine remaining parts the best way possible. Of course, also taking in account uh, Caesar. <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for that, Pastor. Our second question, Deuteronomy 26, verse 12. Mm -hmm. um, it reads, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. How does this third year of tithing work? And is it still applicable? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty challenging question. Mm -hmm. Because if you go through the books of Moses, you will see that tithe or tithing appears almost all over the place. Mm -hmm. And uh, for instance, in the book of Leviticus and Numbers, you will see that tithing is something that happens regularly every single year. And uh, 
all the tithe belongs to God and it goes to the temple, to the Levites, those that work for the temple service. Now, when you reach the book of Deuteronomy, it seems that there's a, a slight difference between what Deuteronomy says about tithing compared to Leviticus and Numbers. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, you have a tithing system in which for two years, you use your tithe for special celebrations where you eat together with your guests and the Levites. And uh, that should happen at the temple. Plus the third year is, is the one uh, part that you read mm -hmm. when you have to gather all the tithe in your city and share with uh, those that need it. And uh, the fatherless is mentioned, the widow, poor people, mm -hmm. and the Levite is also included again. So some people said, well, it seems that this is a new adaptation of the tithing principle to the new realities. Nevertheless, in both contexts, both in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the, the tithing refers to the time when they are going to be already installed in the land of Canaan. Okay. And this is important because there are some other laws, some other regulations that were applied in a certain way during their um, trip in the desert. And it was applied different when they entered Canaan. Mm -hmm. It's not the case when it comes to tithing. So then the best way of looking at it, I believe, is to see them side by side. It's practically two different systems of tithing. And uh, if I analyze everything in context, it seems that there was a tithing that happened constantly. And uh, that went to the Levites, to the temple service. And then there was a tithing part in which uh, the one that was tithing his uh, revenue could share because he himself could eat with his uh, friends. So it was more of a social tithing, social um, way of, uh, of, of sharing the blessings that God gave to you. And if you make your calculations, you will see that actually the, the tithing that uh, goes away, goes uh, from you and you have no control over it is 13.33% because you have the one tithing, which is uh, 10%. And then from the second one, you have uh, the part that um, in the third year goes to, to the poor. The other two parts of the second tithe stays with you in a way because it's you that uh, creates uh, the celebrations, uh, the banquets, if you want, mm -hmm. with friends. It's, it's a social thing. Now, applied to our life today, right? I believe both of them have relevance. Mm -hmm. I believe the, the one tithe that goes to, to God, that belongs to God, is uh, an old discussion, really, uh, kind of tithe. But then you have a second tithe, and many people do that today. Yeah, They, they, they give one tithe that is uh, sent to, to God's work for the um, prosperity of the gospel work. And then a second tithe from which people give uh, gifts, they give um, um, offerings, 
they create social events, they invite friends, they do small group ministry. Because you, if you do small group ministry, you would have to put some money into it because people will come to your house and uh, you want to serve them. Yeah. Uh, right? and, uh, and of course, you will always have poor people around you. You will always have the needy with you and you want to help them. Uh, some people even tie this reality of the, the double tithing, which is practically now not one-tenth of your income, it's one-twentieth, right? It's uh, like you, you divide uh, your revenue to five and one-fifth is not yours. Mm-hmm. And people, some people tie this reality of the tithing to what Moses, am I saying it right? No, what Joseph did in uh, Egypt. You know, when, when Joseph organized uh, the, the gathering of uh, the crops for the seven uh, bad years. Okay. He would, he would take a fifth from every crop that people would gather from uh, their field. Okay. So, so, yeah, this is how I see it applied today. You, you give your tithe, but then a second tithe you will use for all those different uh, services, activities. activities okay. In which you even include you sitting and celebrating with your friends and with the needy. It's interesting that in both systems, the Levites are in view. Why? Because the Levites didn't have uh, inheritance. They didn't have other revenue. So the Levites that were working at the temple would benefit of the tie that went to the temple. Mm-hmm. The Levites that were home in the cities, they would have benefited from the tithe that stayed in the city every third year. Okay. All right. Thank you for that explanation. Um, our next question has to do with Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 2 and Deuteronomy 28, 13 to 15. And I'll read that for you quickly. All right. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you will obey the Lord your God. If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will always be on top and never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today, nor follow after other gods and worship them. But if you um, refuse to listen to the Lord, your God, and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. And Deuteronomy 28 verse 21, the Lord will afflict you with diseases until none of you are left in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And so the question is, are financial struggles, life difficulties and illnesses, signs of disobedience to God? Are wealth, life, success, and good health signs of obedience? Very, very interesting question. And this goes into the tension that we often experience when we discuss uh, the prosperity gospel mm-hmm. ideas, right? Because on one hand, prosperity gospel wants 
to give you the idea that if you are obedient to God, then you will have all that you desire. All your dreams will come true and, and you will prosper in all possible ways. And most of the time, prosperity is measured in money, which right. I believe is a very misleading concept. That is true. Right? Uh, on the other hand, right, you don't want to be poor. And you don't want to see poverty as a sign of uh, divine grace and uh, beneficence, right? So, so you, are, you are in between this. Okay, so should I be rich? And that's going to be a proof that God is with me. Or should I be poor? And that's going to be a sign of humbleness because, hey, I'm with God. And I believe both are wrong. Both are extremes. Now, it's undeniable that in the Bible, if you read it just naturally, the natural flow of the Bible, there is a law of causality between you being faithful to God and you prospering. Okay? So if you are faithful to God, you will prosper somehow. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's what I, I want to, to emphasize, that somehow. It doesn't have to be money. You can be very prosperous, very successful relationally. Being able to, to touch the life of people. Mm -hmm. You can be a prosperous uh, person intellectually. There are all kinds of areas in which you can prosper. It doesn't have to be money. Now, of course, we don't make a virtue out of being uh, poor or needy. But at the same time, you can be needy financially, at least at some points of your life, and still prosperous you know, in the overall picture of, of your life. But we cannot deny the fact that there is a direct connection between you being obedient to God and God blessing you. Right. Because if we cancel that out, then it, it's almost like, okay, so, so uh, the way the, the apostles came to Jesus, so we left this and that and that. So what are we getting? You are getting something. But God is the one that decides what you are going to get. And... Um, when it comes to prosperity, everybody has a different way of looking at uh, what satisfies, what fulfills somebody's heart. One other aspect that I would like to bring into this discussion is, what if somebody is faithful, really faithful, and uh, based on all the indicators that you can analyze, that person has a miserable life. And then you can jump to the life of Job, right, in the Bible. A guy that was really prosperous, even financially. But financial prosperity was not his only prosperity. But at one point, God allowed the enemy to take everything away from him except his life. So does that mean that now God cursed him? No, that was a trial. But usually when that kind of experience happens, it's for a season. Because God then restores that human being that he allows to go to trials. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. I mean, I, if I may share just quickly, um, I do, I, I know of this person who thinks that, you know, as Christians, we should be um, prosperous, but not too prosperous. We should have some suffering going on in our lives at some point because we're required to suffer for the Lord. 
And so he sees prosperity as being um, something that we should not have too much of, <laughs> you know? But see, somebody can have money from the devil as well. There you go. <laughs> that is true. So that's, that's why you have to analyze deeper than just on the surface. And suffering is part of the life of everybody. Even the one that became rich by fraud, the devil made him or her rich. Mm -hmm. Even that person goes to suffering. So now if we analyze it from the perspective of suffering, then I would say I would rather suffer with God than suffer without him. Amen. All right, so let's jump to our next question. It says here in Deuteronomy 28, verse 63, just as the Lord has found great pleasure in causing you to prosper and multiply, the Lord will find pleasure in destroying you. You will be torn from the land you are about to enter and occupy. So why would a loving God find pleasure in destroying us? Yeah, that's a that's a very good and intricate question. So I think the, the, the first and most important aspect here is to analyze the word uh, delight, right? So God, God finds delight in bringing you down, tearing you down. Right. I looked at the Hebrew word and the meaning of it is not really uh, finding pleasure or joy or, or joy. You have another verse in the book of Ezekiel where God says, ask, he asks, uh, do I find pleasure in the death of the sinner? Or wouldn't I rather find pleasure in him to come back, to, to leave his ways and come back to me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Obviously, God is, is not a, a sarcastic somebody, a guy that uh, sits there and says, okay, I brought you up. Now I'm going to tear you down. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, so I believe the, the choice of, uh, of words for the translation there is uh, not the best. I, I would say that the best way to translate that concept that God exposes there is, hey, I was willing to bring you up, but I am going to be willing to bring you down if this and this happens. Because in all fairness, all it takes for us to, to go south, to hit bottom rock, or rock bottom, uh, is... Uh, <laughs> is uh, is uh, for God to, to withdraw his hand. Mm -hmm. And we are already there. Rock bottom, right? Rock bottom. So, so, so that's, that's the concept that God conveys there. Yes, right. I, I was there for you. I was willing for, uh, to, to be there for you in all possible ways. Because if you work according to God's principles, God will bring you up one way or another. You will be a head and not tail. One way or another. Again, not necessarily money. And I have to emphasize this because there's, there's a craze in today's society where everybody has the impression, well, not everybody. There's always exceptions. But most people have the impression, yeah, you have to run for money. And then you have somebody that has exquisite intellectual abilities running for money. Why? Mm -hmm. But you should actually go and, and, and do science, right? 
So, so uh, we, we don't want to go in that direction. God is able, if you are with God, God is able to bring you up. But when you depart from God, when you break the covenant with God, then things will start fall, falling apart. And God, God is fair and he tells you, hey, the way I was willing to bring you up, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bring you down. It's, it's you leave part. yourself open to the wiles of the devil. Yes, yes. All right, let's go to our next question, which is taken from Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears um, that hear. How, what is this telling us here? Can you yeah, explain that's that? That's a pretty cool verse. I, I, I very much like that verse because I, I would just add one little word for clarity there. So would you would you read the verse again? And I will okay. start. Yeah. But to this day, the Lord has not okay. given. Instead of has not, mm -hmm. I would I would put could not. Okay. Okay. And it changes the whole whole thing. So the, the point is, God has given them all kind of evidence mm -hmm. for for his power, for him being with them. And yet the, the people rebelled against God again and again. So now God comes back to them and, and he says, hey, uh, yeah, these and these things have happened to you. And yet God could not give you the heart that you, you would have needed. Right. Why not? It's not because he didn't want to give them the heart. It's because when it comes to the reaction of a human being, it depends on the willpower of that human being, whether he will have a positive answer mm -hmm. or not to what God does to him or her. Okay. Okay. All right. That's why it says, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a letter. It's very important that we... You know, we read across to have a full understanding yes. of what and the message is. It's very important to read it in, in the mindset of, uh, of Jewish worldview, right? Where good and bad, everything comes from God. Mm -hmm. for, for instance, just, just very briefly, uh, Job lost almost everything he had, right? He didn't lose his character. He didn't lose his life. No, he didn't. Almost everything, right? Who took it away? Mm -hmm. Satan, right? Right. And yet, when uh, Job talks about his his experience, he says, God gave it, God took it away. Okay. So in, in the Jewish um, mindset, everything comes from God, good and bad. So oh. we wouldn't be very surprised that God uses this language of, hey, I, I'm going to bring you up, I'm going to turn you down. That is powerful. <laughs> All right, so let's jump to our next question. Um, Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. <clears throat> the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. Why would a father keep secrets from his children? <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Well, first of all, you know, why do we keep secrets from our children? Because there are certain things that our children are not able to handle. So if you extend the picture on a wider scale, 
God, our Father, could not give us everything to handle because we were not able to handle. So some secrets will be revealed later. Some secrets will be revealed in eternity. Either risking to, to uh, say that uh, we may have uh, challenges even in eternity to understand some things. Because when, when you are a child, you have a very difficult time understanding what it means, what it entails to be a father or a mother. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if you're a creature, it's very difficult to grasp what it means to be a creator. Right? So, so some sort of secrets may stay with us eternally. Yes, and there's not, there's so much that the human it's, it's in our best interest to keep some things a secret. And the beautiful thing is that God doesn't uh, hold you accountable for things you don't know. Amen to that. <laughs> okay, so and then in Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 16, it says here that, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Mm -hmm. What is the role of God's commandments? Hmm. Based on that Bible verse, and it's not the only passage. Right. Go to Deuteronomy um, chapter 8, verse 1, for, for instance. There are many Bible verses that indicate that God's law, the role of God's law, is to bring life, to give life. Okay? We have, we have created a theological system in which uh, we transform God's law in something technical. But throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, you can see that God's law has the purpose, has the role of giving life. Of, uh, of giving prosperity in the end. Uh, how does that work? The law of God is like a design law. You function well, or you function in, in um, optimal parameters if you respect, if you obey those laws. God's laws, God's commandments are not something imposed from the outside and it's up to you whether you will uh, go with them or not. It's something that is built in in the, the very nature of creation. So if you go against God's laws, against God's commandments, you practically go against the fiber of God's reality. You go against God's love. Because the law of God is an expression of his love. So that's why it's very important to, to move away from this mindset in which, yeah, but nobody can, nobody can keep the law of God because it's so difficult. No, in the, uh, the very way of, of uh, how life functions, it is much more difficult to go against God's law because that ruins you, that destroys you. Just 
to give an example, what is more difficult for somebody to keep the seventh commandment when uh, God says you should not commit adultery? Okay, so have your wife or have your husband, or if you are not there yet, don't be involved sexually with anybody. Or is it is it uh, more difficult to break that law? Or is, is it easier to break that law? Well, if somebody is married and tries to break the, the law, the seventh commandment, that's, that's going to be a very hard thing because uh, you have to cover a lot of things. Okay? If, if you are married to a husband, you will have to uh, fool your husband time and time again if you are cheating on him. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is easier? What gives life and what takes away life? If you keep the commandment, then you are, you are in the frame, the existential frame that God gave you. If you break it, then you have to find all kinds of ways out you know, to, to be able to handle your situation. And in the end, you will mess up big time because there's no way to hide it eternally. Because everything will come to light. Okay. Uh, Pastor, if you don't mind, I want to step back a little bit to our discussion on tithing. Is that okay? Sure. Now, I forgot to ask this. Um, I do know of someone who is a Seventh-day Adventist and um, who has indicated to me that, you know, tithing is no longer applicable today. Back then, it was needed because we needed that to support the you know, the work of the ministry at that time to pay the pastors to do a number of the the function of it at that time is not relevant to how we should be looking at tithing today. So you can basically take your 10% and, and just use, use it towards the service of the Lord, use it within the service of the, of, of the Lord in terms of helping others or, you know, doing something for God. It's not necessary that you have to take it to church and you know, give that money to church, you can use it any other way. What would you say to someone who is of that belief? You know, uh, the instant answer to somebody that thinks that way is that uh, um, you practically can do whatever you wanna do. I mean, what God wants from you is, is not something imposed. Mm-hmm. If uh, God uh, asks something from you, then it's your decision to say yes or no to what God wants. Uh, but if you want to be faithful to God, then it's very hard to argue based on the Old Testament or on the New Testament that uh, what God implemented from uh, good old times is not in use anymore because the concept the very concept of of tithing is uh, a spiritual matter and you have in the new testament the apostle paul says that those who work for the gospel should be living from the gospel right so those who dedicate their lives full-time so to speak to ministry they have to still live and their families need bread just like other people need bread. Okay, Then uh, there's also Jesus Christ talking about uh, 
um, in, in Matthew 23 about some people giving a tithe from all those many details of their income, but they leave out the most important things, goodness, uh, righteousness, uh, justice, and humbleness. But then he says, hey, you should not leave this, but you should also keep this. Okay, so there's no real argument or, or proof or evidence in the New Testament that God canceled out this principle. But again, it's going to be very hard to argue with the mind of somebody that wants to control you know, this, this whole thing. Because in the tithing principle, there is an aspect of letting go. This is not yours. Uh, but if, if I keep it for myself, or I use it the way I want to use it, then how am I tithing according to the principle that our tithe belongs to God? So it's it's pretty pretty tricky. Okay. All right, thank you for that, Pastor. All right, let's jump into the next question, which is found in um, Deuteronomy 31 versus, um, sorry, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31, one to eight, and Joshua's, where Joshua becomes Israel's leader. It says, God chose Moses, right, to lead his people. He then chose Joshua to lead them after Moses died. So why do we need leadership? Why do we need a, a board, um, a church board, to lead the church and give power to our pastors? Well, very, very clever question. Um, first of all, this concept of giving power to somebody is a very dangerous human concept. Power comes from God. You, you have to know, though, that even Moses, that seems to be the authoritarian leader of his time, he was not leading on his own. At one point, his father-in-law, Jethro, came to him to visit and told him, hey, 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 son, what are you doing here? Are you killing yourself? You are dealing with all the problems of everybody? You can't do that. You have to organize this. You have to put people in charge. Okay, now that's pretty much how a church functions. You have people in charge in different um, departments. There's a misconception that the pastor has more power because he's, he's on top of everything. In my humble opinion, the pastor is the weakest person when it comes to imposing power. The pastor cannot do anything if there's no support from the people. Mm -hmm. Now he can in human context, but that's power that puts other people down instead of being power that lifts other people up. If you go uh, to the Bible, so both in the Old Testament, starting with Moses' time, Moses doesn't lead alone. He leads with his counselors. The king, there's even uh, Bible verses in uh, the book of Wisdom of uh, Proverbs, in which it says that wisdom comes from the number of uh, counselors, right? If you go to the, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tried to set elders in churches, not only one elder. I'm not saying that you could not have a smaller church where you only have one elder, but even there, you have a leadership team. Because a human being can be easily misled 
by this concept of power. Not even the king, the way God thought about it, should have been an autocrat, somebody, a tyrant, somebody that carries out his will no matter what. Okay. And someone once said that there is also um, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like God could do it all on his own. That is correct. But that there is, is the Trinity. And, and that's the very basis of leadership in, in the Godhead himself. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for that. So let's look a little bit now again, again um, at God's anger against us. It says in Deuteronomy 31, 16 to 18. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them. And in that day, they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. So the question is, is it fair to assume that some of today's diseases, trage tragedies, and natural disasters are the result of God's anger against us? Yes. That, that's that's it, yes. <laughs> that's, that's what the question asks. Okay. <laughs> if it's fair to assume, uh, yes, it's fair. It's fair to assume. And, and, and the question said some of, some of them. And to that, I, I can say yes. Now, uh, life is, and, and reality is much more complicated than that. But that's part of reality for sure. When... Uh, when we break off with God or break up with God, um, things start happening. Things can happen even if we are in relationship with God. Because be it, being with God sometimes may imply that God is with us through the calamities. Because calamities can be collateral damage. It's like when... Uh, uh, you are hit in traffic, not because you did something wrong. It, it may happen that somebody hits somebody else and uh, through a ricochet, your, your car will be hit too. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why life is more complex. But to, to simplify it, the answer to that question is yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So, I mean, <clears throat> that's it basically. I mean, when we turn against God, then there are consequences. Yes, and it's not, not because God now uh, becomes angry in the sense that we would become angry, because divine, divine anger is not a, a whimsical kind of, I'm going to lash out on you and hit you hard. And, and, but when he withdraws, he takes his hands off, things start happening. Exactly because of the design laws that were in the very fabric of creation when you go against against the way you should function things will start breaking down like you have a new car if you don't put the right fuel if you don't uh, give the right oil things will start falling apart because there's a design 
law in that car. Okay, okay. And some people will argue that people will turn away from God. They seem to be prospering. They seem to be doing well. You know, um, how yeah. do you explain situations like that? There is a guy in the Bible, and you can read it in, in uh, Psalm 73. Uh, he argues with God. And he says, hey, uh, I'm looking at these guys, you know, prosperous, uh, full of fat, you know, uh, they have no problems. And then he says, then I entered in the house of the Lord and I saw their end. Mm -hmm. And when, when he saw their end, his mind changed instantly. You never know what is going on with those prosperous people. Okay. You you may not want to experience that ever if you knew what they are going through. What the end is. Okay. Yeah, where where their prosperity takes them. Yeah. All right. And now as we're going through tough times in life, we are known to sing a song every now and then. Music has always played an important part in, in our lives. Absolutely. So um why did God command Moses to write a song? It says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 19, now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. So why is God commanding Moses here to write a song? Well, I think uh, Moses was, uh, I think he was gifted. He was a gifted uh, musician. So when you are gifted, uh, the Lord will want you to do something with your creative power. But that's, that's uh, just uh, a foundational reality. Uh, more precisely, in that context, God asks Moses to write a song so that song will be a reminder. Mm -hmm. the songs are very powerful. They are like vehicles. It's like... Um, a post or a postal service vehicle uh, that uh, is loaded somewhere with some uh, merchandise and the machine comes and uh, unloads everything in your your inside okay and then and the machine leaves mm -hmm. okay? so that's something that happens with our spiritual songs i i read that song very um, carefully and it was very inspiring to see how Moses recapitulates in that song the history of God's people. So when when you sing those songs, there are songs from my childhood that bring back memories from childhood, good and bad, you know, depending on the context. So a song that recaps the story, the history of God's providence, of God's grace in the life of uh, these people, that is an amazing tool of keeping you faithful to God. Okay. And it's a beautiful way of just telling a story, you know, where you're coming from and where you're going. Yep. yep. All right. So on to Deuteronomy 32, verse 9. Um, another question here. It says, um, it reads that for the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Um, Jacob is his special possession. Today, it says, this is a question. Today, there's a widespread belief that all Jews, even those who strayed away from God or um, became atheist, um, they always prosper. Is that true? If we are spiritual Jews, shouldn't we always prosper also? 
Well, first of all, let's deal with uh, with the lie first. Uh, this this idea that all Jews are prosperous financially because that's what what it entails mm -hmm. that's a lie okay there are Jewish people that are poor needy even homeless mm -hmm. I think what makes a difference is that in the Jewish community there's a, a pretty strong sense of solidarity so if somebody gets in trouble like very low situation they will try to do their best to help the brother out. This is not unique to the Jewish uh, population, but I think it's pretty pretty strong in that area. On the other hand, you know, um, there's there's all kind of myths with regard to the Jews. One of the myths is that once God blessed somebody, that's going to be blessed eternally. But the reality is, and you could see this in the books of Moses, God's blessings are conditioned. You're conditioned upon somebody's obedience. So you can't go with the idea, okay, just because uh, historically the Jews are God's people, God's uh, uh, chosen people, they will prosper no matter what. Yeah, some of them prosper because they use their intelligence and there's a lot of uh, popular wisdom passed down from one generation to the other. There's a lot of nepotism as well. There's a lot of uh, promoting one another, right? Because uh, just if you think about uh, noble prizes, okay, Jew after Jew gets the noble prizes. I have a hard time believing that uh, only Jews uh, can uh, reach Nobel Prizes because there are others as well that can. But in, in a human context, it depends very much on, on who's placed where and then who's going to be placed where. Okay. And, and, and you can see that in society on all levels, um, injustice, and justice interferes in society just because it seems or it looks like doesn't have to be like that. And just because it is like that, it doesn't mean that it is because of that. Okay, so we have to analyze more in depth uh, to see who is blessed for what reason. And in the end, only God can give a thorough answer to that. Okay. All right, we're coming, um, we're um, almost at the end of our study for today, for this evening. Um, but I wanted to get into one or two questions from Joshua also. All right. If you don't mind. Sure. So Joshua had to wait until Moses' death to take over um, as Israel's leader. So the question is, should we co-lead in ministry? Which is a simple one. <laughs> yes, we could. We should. We could. Mm -hmm. um, Moses, although he didn't pass on the baton until uh, his last moments, Joshua was brought in way before. So I, I think a natural way of uh, passing uh, leadership down from one generation to the other should happen in, in all, in all uh, spiritual uh, uh, areas. Mm -hmm. I, I have a hard time especially in church context, understand uh, 
how how somebody that is is uh, viewed or is perceived as a spiritual leader as a strong spiritual leader can live without leaving anybody behind so succession planning is very important in the church in organizations and in the church also absolutely yes okay um one question that i i did want to ask here um is in it's found in joshua 2 verse 4 it says rahab had hidden the two men but she replied yes the men were here earlier but i didn't know where they were from so is it a sin to lie for a good cause um like rahab did did she lie for god's glory okay i'm gonna do something uh very uh uh heretical here but but i i just want to challenge the mind of, of our viewers I think the, the, the very problem here, or the essence of the problem, is the definition of what lie is. Okay. Okay. Uh, lie, in our um, common definition, is the opposite of truth. Now, uh, the commandment in the Decalogue doesn't say don't lie. What does it say? Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And th this is not this is not just uh, another way of saying it. Don't lie. No, no, no. This is well said, because if you look at at uh, especially the Old Testament, because that's the the more visible Jewish mindset, you will see that there are quite a few instances when God's people intentionally hide the truth from the people of the enemy and there are different levels whether they say uh, um, half truths or just don't say it or say something that we would call a lie so i believe we have to deal with the definition of, of lie a little bit because if somebody comes to me and and i hid you in uh, in the keller and uh, they want to kill you. It's very hard to tell me that if if they come to search you out, I should tell them, okay, she's there. Go and get her. No, no, no. Uh, it's 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 far fetched. Now, in Rahab's ca case, we cannot blame her for anything really, because she wasn't a Christian. She wasn't somebody belonging to God's people. She was somebody that was listening to God. Right. And in her innocence or sinfulness, God was working with her and using her. Okay. Pretty, right. pretty, pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Right? <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Okay. Tell us, uh, I mean, we're, we're at the end now. And, um, you know, we did have a lot of questions. We're so sorry we weren't able to take them all. Um, but give us a little bit um, of an overview of what we're looking forward to in um, Joshua 8 through to Judges 3, which is what we'll be studying for next week. Um, we'll have um, um, Principal Stevenson and, and Pastor Jen who will be taking that, us through that study. Um, but tell us a little bit about what we're looking forward to, to reading in those passages. Well, we are, we are looking uh, forward to some very troubling things. Okay, a lot of uh, fighting, a lot of uh, killing. 
then uh, the, the division of uh, the territory. Um, I think there's, there's a, a frame in which we have to read the book of Joshua and even, even then the, the book of Judges because God's initial plan was to drive out those nations, send the hornet uh, in, in front of the people and drive them out, but they ended up fighting and it was pretty messy. So uh, the book of Joshua, to my mind, and then even the book of uh, Judges are very, very disturbing books in the sense that you can really see how history even with God's intervention, is very real, intense, intense. So uh, I just pray that uh, we will have uh, wisdom yes. to see beyond the, the gruesome realities that people can do to one another, the loving heart of God that, that works with people in a real historic context. Okay. Amen to that. Yes. All right. So... Thank you again, everyone, for joining us um, this evening for our Bible study. We will invite you to read Joshua 8 through to Judges 3 for next week's study. And um, just reminding you also, please text your questions in to 954-388-8780. And um, please read daily, not all at one time. Just go through on a day-to-day -day basis, reading these passages and send your questions in as they, um, as you have those questions available to you. All right, next week, we will have um, Pastor Jen and Principal Stevenson, who will be walking us through our study of Joshua 8 through to Judges 3. All right, thank you everyone for joining us um, this evening. And thank you, Pastor Joe, as always, for being available to walk us through our Bible study. And um, so at this time, I'll ask you to pray to close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. There are challenging things in it. There are things that can disturb our hearts and minds but we rely on your wisdom and uh, we know nothing is more important than knowing you the way you are. So I pray, Lord, that you will continue to bless us, bless the viewers, bless all those that uh, honestly inquire your will. In Jesus' name, through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Plantation SDA Church presents the Bible and Must. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible and Must.